The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at shadesvalley.org. On November the 29th of 2015, I invited you to open to chapter 1 of the Gospel of John. And we began a journey together. And this morning, I invite you to open to chapter 21 so that we might conclude that journey. I told you on that first day that I did not know how long this would take. I know now. We've had many interruptions along the way. We've paused for standalone sermons or for other series, but for the better portion of the last two and a half years, we have taken 87 sermons to journey through this gospel. And we have done all of that with a singular goal, to behold the glory of Jesus. That's, that's not just our, that's our aim because it's John's aim. Like John has aimed from chapter 1 to chapter 21 to show us Jesus' glory. He has, he has held up Christ like a diamond. And chapter after chapter, he has rotated him that we might behold every facet of his glory. And the mind-blowing thing is that by the time we finish today, John will actually admit we've only glimpsed the glory of Christ. Just, just glimpsed it. Like there's always more to see. But John will also tell us today that a glimpse of Christ's glory, a glimpse is enough to grip your heart for the rest of your life. That's that's the truth with which John concludes his gospel. Here at the end, he wants us to know that when we behold the glory of Christ, we become beholden to his glory for the rest of our lives. That's the central truth for us to explore for the rest of our time together. When we behold the glory of Christ, we become, if we truly see his glory, we become beholden to his glory for the rest of our lives. Beholden. To to, to be beholden to something means you're bound to it. Like you're captured by it, captivated by it. Whatever it is, you can be beholden to to anything. Whatever it is, whatever you're beholden to, you're captured by it, you're bound by it, it it becomes the controlling factor of your life. And the truth of the matter is, is that we are all beholden to something. And so the question for us this morning, Shades, is what are we beholden to? Like for you, if John's saying, be beholden to the glory of Christ for the rest of your life, the question is, what are you beholden to? Because we're all beholden to something. Something is the controlling factor of our lives that governs all that we do, all the decisions we make, the reason we get out of bed in the morning, the reason we work our job, the reason we earn money, the reason that we do anything. It's all governed by something. What are we beholden to? Perhaps it's a love for stuff, money. Maybe it's a love for family, for our children, and that governs everything that we do. Maybe it's a love for power and prestige and popularity, or, or maybe it's a love simply for ourselves. We, we love the glory, the beauty, the goodness, the greatness. That's what glory is. We love the glory of something, and it controls our lives. Can we say with the Apostle Paul, that we are controlled by a love for the glory of Christ. 
The Apostle Paul says that rather explicitly in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 14. Listen to what he writes. He says, for the love of Christ controls us. Controls. Suneco. It's a word used when someone arrests a person, lays hands on them, grips them, constrains them, holds them. Paul's saying we've been arrested, gripped, constrained by the love of Christ. The love of Christ controls us. Why? Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Paul says we have seen the glory of Christ who gave his life for us. He died for us. And that glorious love that we have beheld, it controls us. We've become beholden to it for the rest of our lives. We no longer live for ourselves, he says. We live for Christ. We all live beholden to something or someone. John has written this gospel that we might behold the glory of Christ and become beholden to his glory for the rest of our lives. So that's the question. Are you, as we close this out, are you beholden to the glory of Christ? It's the final question that John poses to you and to me, and he helps us wrestle with it alongside of the disciple Peter in chapter 21, verses 18 through 25. So let's look into this gospel together one last time and ask ourselves, is my life, are we shades as a people beholden to the glory of Christ? So let's begin. Verses 18 19, where I think, I think what's going to happen here is that John is going to show us what it actually looks like to be beholden to the glory of Christ. There are three movements in this passage, and I think what he's going to do is he's going to show us first, here's what it looks like to be beholden to the glory of Christ. And in the second movement, I think he's going to show us, here's the primary distractor from that. Here's what pulls each and every one of us as human beings away from that. And the third and final move, I think he's going to give us one last exhortation. Don't be fooled. Don't be pulled away from the glory of Christ. Behold his glory and be beholden to it for the rest of your lives. So, verses 18 to 19, first movement, what it looks like to be beholden, to live beholden to the glory of Christ. Jesus is speaking to Peter and he says this in verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, used to dress yourself, walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you'll stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you to where you do not want to go. John tells us in verse 19, this Jesus said to show by what kind of death Peter was to glorify God. And after saying this, Jesus said to Peter, follow me. So now, Right here, we are jumping into the middle of a conversation between Peter and Jesus. You might be a little lost if you weren't here with us last week. I don't have time to review everything, but I'll try and summarize a little bit for you. Even those of us who were here last week, you may need a refresher. You might remember that John chapter 21, in this chapter, the resurrected Christ is revealing himself to his disciples for the third time in this gospel. And he's doing so, he's just revealing himself to seven of his disciples, and he's doing it by the Sea of Galilee. And what we saw last week is very quickly this scene pulls in a close zoomed focus on Jesus and one other disciple, Peter. And the reason for that is because these two have not had a personal conversation since Peter denied Christ. Jesus, if you remember earlier in the gospel, told Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And that happens. Jesus is arrested. Peter denies that he even knows him. 
Jesus is crucified, raised from the dead, appears back to his disciples on two different occasions, but he and Peter have still not had a personal conversation. Peter's still in need of of reconciliation. And we saw that happen last week on this beach by the Sea of Galilee. Jesus asked Peter the same question three times, recalling his three denials. Peter asked him, I mean, excuse me, Jesus asked him, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter replaced his three denials with three confessions. He said it three times, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus followed Peter's confessions with three commissions. Feed my sheep, tend my lambs, feed my sheep. He put a call, a commission on Peter's life. And we saw that this call, we talked about what that meant for Peter to feed Christ's sheep. And what we saw is that this, this call is for Peter to sacrifice his life for the good of the church and the glory of Christ. Feed my sheep. It's a call, not just to Christ, but to us, to sacrifice our lives for the good of the church and the glory of Christ. How? How is it that call? First, for the good of the church. You can hear that in the words, my sheep. Feed my sheep. Through John chapter 10, we know that Jesus means his people. Feed my people, my church. Whatever feeding means, Peter is to do it. We're to do it for the church. Peter's being commissioned to sacrifice whatever plans he had for his life, sacrifice those for the good of the church. This commission is not just for the good of the church. We also said it's for the glory of Christ. And we see that when we go back to the word feed. We saw last week through John chapter 6 that to feed in the gospel of John has a focus on being satisfied with Christ. Just like I would feed on bread and and drink. I'm to feed, spiritually feast upon Christ. He's to be the satisfaction of my soul. So when Jesus says to Peter, feed my sheep, he's saying, give my people the only thing that will satisfy them, me, in all of my glory. Peter, your life is sacrificed to this purpose, to, to lifting up Christ as the only satisfaction of people's souls to showing people my glory, to lifting me up in my supreme value. His life is sacrificed to the glory of Christ, lifting him up. The call of the commission is to feed my sheep for the good of the church and the glory of Christ. His whole life, Peter's whole life is given to this commission. I know that. Because if you look right at the end of verse 17, the final words out of Jesus' mouth there is his final, feed my sheep. And right on the heels of that comes verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself, walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Put 17 and 18 together right there. Don't ignore the verse break. Verse breaks are horrible. So are chapter breaks. Get yourself a reader's Bible that removes all of the verse and chapter numbers. Read that sucker. It's very helpful. We need the verse numbers and chapter numbers, so in a setting like this, we can all get to the same place quick, but just, just do it. You'll thank me later. Peter, I'm calling you, when you put the verses together, Peter, I'm calling you to feed my sheep until the day you die. 
until the day you are crucified. That's what Jesus is saying. In the ancient world, the phrase, stretch out your hands, Greco-Roman literature, that is consistently used to refer to crucifixion. And John confirms for us that that's what Jesus means in verse 19. John says, this Jesus said to show by what kind, what kind of death Peter was to glorify God. Peter, the kind of death you're going to die is the kind where you stretch out your hands. You will be crucified. And Peter, even that will be for the good of the church and the glory of Christ. Did you notice that? Like right at the end of verse 19? This Jesus said to show by what kind of death Peter was to glorify God. Your death, Peter, it's going to be for God's glory and the good of the church. How? How does that work? How could that possibly work? It's because of the connection between verses 17 and 18, the connection between Peter's commission and his crucifixion. Peter is being commissioned to feed Christ's sheep, and he's being told that commission will lead him to a cross. Peter, if you do this, if you give yourself to this, Feeding my sheep, proclaiming me, Peter, it's going to cost you your future. It's going to cost you your freedom. It's going to cost you your life. And so when Peter does it and he goes to the cross, it glorifies Christ because it says Jesus is worth more than all of that. Peter says, I go, I'm going to follow, knowing that that's where it's going to lead. I'm going to say, Jesus, you're worth more than my freedom. Jesus, you're worth more than whatever future I had planned. Jesus, you are worth more than my very life. Peter will be saying, I am beholden to the glory of Christ. Shades, this is what it looks like to be beholden to the glory of Christ. His glory is the all-controlling factor in our lives. And we will go wherever, we'll do whatever, so long as Christ is glorified. That's the aim that controls everything. Jesus says, Peter, this is what is going to control you all the way to the cross, being captivated by my glory. I want, as you hear me say that, do you hear the irony that's going on right here in the text? Peter, this, this is what's going to control you all the way to the cross. My glory, me, being captivated by me, following me. Catch the irony between that and what Jesus actually says in verses 18 and 19. I love it. Jesus, in verses 18 and 19, refers to Peter's freedom of his youth or his perceived freedom. How he was in charge of his life, could do what he wanted, go where he wanted. But he says, when you're old, you're going to be a prisoner. You're not going to be in charge of what you do or where you go. And where you go will ultimately be a cross. And in those verses, Jesus makes it sound like the people who are going to be in control of Peter's life as he gets older are his captors. They're going to be the ones who make these decisions as to where you go and what you do. And they're going to control you all the way to the cross. 
But I think Jesus is smirking behind the irony of what he's saying because don't miss his final two words at the end of verse 19. We read this. And after saying this, Jesus said to Peter, follow me. Follow me. Peter, it's not really your captors that will lead you to a cross. It's following me. It's, it's not really your captors that are going to be in charge of your life and your destiny. It's me. Peter's true captor is Christ. For Peter will be beholden, controlled, bound to his glory for the rest of his life. Peter, follow me. Let my glory be the all-controlling factor of your life, even when it leads you to a painful place like a cross. Uh, my wife and I, Holly, when we got married, a friend of mine sang a really cheesy Stephen Curtis Chapman song at our wedding entitled, Go There With You. And uh, the chorus, the chorus says, I'll take a heart whose nature is to be for me alone and fill it up with you and make all your joy and pain my own. No matter how deep a valley you go through, I'll go there with you. And uh, I chose that cheesy love song. Are there love songs that aren't cheesy? Anyway, I chose that song because on mine and Holly's wedding day, there were some things that I knew for certain. I knew for certain that we would hurt each other. I knew for certain that we would make each other cry. I knew for certain that there would be difficult days ahead. I knew there would be plenty of valleys that we would go through. Nearly 15 years later, there have been plenty of valleys, Shade. Every couple that stands before God and people at an altar knows this to be the truth. They know it to be the truth if they'll just listen to their vows. We confess this reality in our vows. We say, we're getting married for better or worse. When I, when I do weddings, I don't like to say or. I say and. It's inevitable. For better and for worse. Knew there'd be valleys. So, so if we knew all of that, why did we still do it? Why did I still do it? Because I am beholden to the glory of that woman. Her beauty, her goodness, her greatness. The love of Holly controls, it constrains, it captivates, it compels me. No matter how deep of a valley we go through, I wanted to tell, I'm going there. The deeper the valley just displays the greater my love for her, her supreme worth to me. The, the deeper the valley that I go there, it just displays how much I love her all the more to, to the world. She's worth more to me than any sacrifice. You remember the movie, uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. I loved that movie. Um, and uh, there was a che another cheesy, I don't know why I'm on cheesy love songs today. Just, it's what's happening, people. But uh, there was a cheesy Brian Adams love song. Everything I do, I do it for you, right? Lie for you, walk the wire for you. I would die for you. 
And the point is that this displays the extent of of the love and the value that one person has for another. You are worth more to me than even my life. Shades, this is the call of John 21. It's the call to Peter and it's the call to every one of us. A call to a life beholden to the glory of Christ where His glory controls us, constrains us, compels us, and we won't let go even if that love leads us to a cross. And I can promise you it does. Christ doesn't just promise Peter a cross in His future. He promises all of His followers a cross in their present. Mark 8, 34, if anyone would come after me, Let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow after me. Paul knew this to be the reality. Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. The, The call here is not for Peter to muster up some strength. And just, Peter, you're just gonna have to get over the fact that I'm calling you to a cross and it's not where you're gonna wanna go. Peter, I'm calling you to me, to myself. Be beholden to my glory even when it takes you through a cross. Are you beholden to the glory of Christ? Shades, is is the commission of your life, feed my sheep, point point people to satisfaction in the glory of Jesus. Last week, we talked about all the unique ways that we can do that in our our lives. We talked about the unique ways that Christ loves to do that through the very areas we think we're weak. Our God is a God who loves to pour out His grace through our wounds, right? He poured out His grace to you through His wounds. It's the commission of your life, feed my sheep, point people to the glory of Christ. Is that, that is how we live beholden to Christ. And that is how we die beholden to Christ. In such a way that shows Christ is worth more than my life. It's just Philippians 2.1 right here, isn't it? For me to live is Christ. For me to live, I'll show his glory, point people to his glory. For me to live is Christ, and to die, gain. Why? Because it removes one more barrier that stands between me and him. I get access into his direct presence. For me, as long as I'm living, Christ, his glory, feeding his sheep. Death, gain. That, that is how you die in such a way that glorifies Christ. You die in such a way that says Christ is worth more than anything else. Though my health fades away, I won't let go of Christ. He's worth more than my health. Though my mind fades away, I won't let go of Christ. He's worth more than anything else. Though I'm persecuted, I won't let go of Christ. He's worth more. No matter what cross comes my way, no matter how deep a valley I go through, I will not fear, even if I go through the valley of the shadow of death, because he is with me. Christ is with me. He goes with everywhere I go, I go following him. Everywhere I go, I get him. That's what he's invited me to. That's what he's inviting Peter to do. Follow him, even through a cross. That's the invitation to Peter. It's the invitation for us. It's been the invitation since the beginning of this gospel. Go back to John chapter 1 and verse 43. You get a two-word invitation. Follow me. It's repeated. John 21, 19. Follow me. 
live beholden to my glory. That's the invitation. That's what John has just laid out for us in verses 18 and 19. Here's what it looks like to live and die beholden to the glory of Christ. You ever think much about how can I die for the glory of Christ? We talk about these kinds of things here at Shades. I read a well-known Puritan pastor that said one of the primary objectives of a pastor should be to prepare his people to die. I think that's true. Live and die in a way that glorifies Christ. John's laid that out. Here's what it looks like to be beholden to the glory of Christ in life and death. There's just one problem. Most of us, no human being naturally lives beholden to Christ's glory. Because we live beholden to everyone else's story. Everyone else, anyone else's story. This is the number one distractor. This is the number one thing that at the close of John's gospel, he wants to hold up and say, here's what can deter you from living beholden to Christ's glory. You living according to anyone else's, everyone else's story. Let me show you what I mean. Look at verses 20 to 22. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against Jesus during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to Peter, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You. It's emphatic in Greek. You, yourself, Peter. Singular. Eyes are straight on Peter, pointing straight. You, yourself, follow me. So, At some point right here in this story, Peter and Jesus have begun walking down the beach together. Apparently, the other disciples may be following behind. We know at least John is following behind. John identifies himself throughout this gospel we've seen as the beloved disciple, the disciple whom Jesus loved. But right here, John adds a second identifier. He doesn't just use the title that we're used to, the disciple that Jesus loved. He adds, he recalls an event A miniature story from John chapter 13. A scene from when the disciples were gathered around the table for their last supper with with Christ and Jesus told them, hey, one of you is going to betray me. And John reminds us that in that moment, he leaned back against Christ and asked, who is it? Why bring that up right here? What relevance does that possibly have? Do you remember in John 13 and verse 24, do you remember who it was that got John to ask Jesus for the betrayer's identity? John didn't do this on his own. It was Peter. Jesus says, somebody's going to betray me. Peter motions at John. Hey, yo, you. Lean back, ask him, whisper, private conversation, ask him who this is going to be, who's he talking about. I think that John brings up this specific memory right now here to point out the fact that Peter knew John was the beloved disciple. Peter knew that Jesus had a special care 
for John. Most likely because John is probably the youngest of the disciples, maybe as young as 16, 17. It's possible that John was actually even Jesus' cousin. But regardless of all of that, Christ felt a special responsibility for this young man, and he looked closely after him. And Peter knew that. That's that's why Peter says to John, hey, you're close, right? You ask him who it is he's talking about. John points that out because it helps us make sense of Peter's question right here in chapter 21. Peter has just been told that following Christ will cost him his life. And he looks back at John, the beloved disciple, the disciple he could say, you're in tight with Jesus. Ask him this personal question. And he goes, what about him? Like Peter's borderline accusing Jesus of playing favorites. Like, sure, Jesus, of course, martyrdom is going to be my lot. I denied you three times. I get it. That's, I'm going to get what's coming to me. But what about the guy who's always been your favorite? And Peter's words reveal a problem that's not his alone. It's a problem that's shared by all of humanity. We were created to live beholden to Christ's glory, but we are beholden to everyone else's story. We live beholden to anyone but Christ, captured by lusting after their life, their lot, their path. If you're a parent you know that everyone is naturally this way because you see it in your kids. As they get older, they are beholden to, controlled by the glory of their friends' lives. Karis is 11. She is asking for a cell phone. The child is in for a rude awakening as to how horrible her parents are. And how easy it is for us to deny her this luxury. But my friends are getting them. So why not me? She's beholden to the glory of her friends' lives. They have it better. Levi, my friends get to stay up later. Why can't I? Kids do this constantly. They're beholden to the glory of everyone else's story. And we can readily see this in our kids, but can we see it in ourselves? Like, we don't grow out of this. All modern advertising is built off the belief that we don't grow out of this. Every single ad you see on TV, billboard, internet, wherever, every single ad you see is aimed at making you feel a need. Something's lacking. It's it's aimed to show you a way in which your life is incomplete. And then it offers you a picture of a life where that need is met. Images of men who use this particular deodorant so they get any number of women. Images of women who shave their legs with this razor. And so it's so more amazing. It's a life-changing experience. Images of families who buy this cereal and that makes them happy and they never fight. Like, like we are offered images of people's lives who have been made whole by the product that we're being sold. Satisfaction and salvation are available for the small in price of three easy installments of 1999. 
and we laugh half-heartedly because it's true. And it hurts. We know. We, we pay the three easy payments of $19.99 because we're beholden to everyone else's story. Everyone else who looks happy and satisfied. If we could just have their life. This is why kids always want the next toy. This is why millennials will pay $10 for avocado toast. This is, this is why we'll take out a second mortgage to get the latest iPhone. Because these are things that we think will bring satisfaction to our lives. At least that's the story we've been told in the lives of the people we see in the ads. We are beholden to the glory of everyone else's story. There are Christianized versions of this problem too. Like, you know, I I would be satisfied in my relationship with Jesus if I could just pray like, so and so, like the stall cops. I would, I would be satisfied in my walk with Christ if I just had the, the charisma or the giftings of, of that person over there. I would be satisfied if I could just Instagram my devotionals as consistently as this person who is so obviously super spiritual. Spirituality is judged on the quality of their filters. Or maybe we don't look at just those people around us. Maybe it's, I wish I could be like this particular Christian celebrity. Musician, pastor, speaker, whoever. Wish I could just be like, they obviously have it figured out, so I buy all their books, I go to all their concerts or their conferences. Not because I'm beholden to Christ's glory, but because I'm beholden to that person's story. Is that not what's happening with Peter? Jesus, I like the plot of John's story better. It's been better so far. He didn't have this whole denial stuff. Like he was at the foot of the cross, faithful. You charged him with taking care of your own mama. I like that plot a lot better than mine with the crowing rooster to remind me of the ways I've failed you. I like, I like his story, so I want to know what hand is he getting dealt? Like if I'm getting a cross, what's he getting? And you've got to love Christ's response to Peter in verse 22. Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he, John, remains until I come, in other words, if it's my will that he doesn't die until I come again, what is that to you? You follow me. In other words, it's none of your business, Peter. Like, whatever I have planned for John, that's none of your concern. What is that to you? Here's here's what you need to be concerned with. You follow me wherever I lead. You follow me, Peter, because I am ultimately what you get. I am ultimately what you want. Not a cross. What you ultimately get is me, the Christ. Do not be beholden to John or anyone else's story. Be beholden to my glory. Jesus' words right here, they remind me uh, of a passage out of uh, the book, The Horse and His Boy. Uh, that's the fifth book in C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia series. It's the fifth book if you read them in publication order, which is the only acceptable order in which to read the Chronicles of Narnia. But anyway, so the main boy, his name is Shasta. And there's a chapter where he's talking with this character. He doesn't know who it is, but it's, it's the Christ figure in in the Chronicles of Narnia, it's Aslan, the lion. 
And Aslan begins to recount all these events that Shasta has experienced throughout the book. And he begins to show Shasta how he was there and present and involved in all of those things. He tells Shasta how he was the lion who drove away the jackals. He tells him how he was the one who comforted Shasta in the house of the dead. He tells him how he is the one who propelled Shasta's boat to shore. And all of this begins to lead Shasta to reflect on every incident he's had with a lion. And it makes him remember a time his friend, Arvis, was injured by a lion. And Shasta says to Aslan, Then it was you! Who wounded Aravis? Shasta said, I mean, Aslan says, it was I. And Shasta asks, but what for? In other words, why? Aslan says, child, I am telling your story, not hers. I tell no one any story but his own. I tell no one any story but his own. It's just not what Christ is saying to Peter. That's somebody else's story. Don't be beholden to John's story. You follow me, Peter. Be beholden to my glory. Shades. John is showing us here at the conclusion of his gospel that the temptation that will keep us from being beholden to the glory of Christ, the temptation that, that will keep us from Jesus is to be beholden to anything or anyone other than him. That's the temptation for Peter, and it's not just for him. It's the temptation for all of us. This is why John brings it up. Because this is actually a present tense issue for John. As John is writing his gospel, this is an issue he is currently dealing with. People not being beholden to Christ, but being beholden to John's life. Look at verse 22. We're going to read that again, but we're going to keep going. Jesus said to Peter, If it is my will that John remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So, the saying spread. This is John, our author, talking to us now. And he says, So the saying spread abroad among many among the brothers, that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. As John is writing this gospel, he is dealing with a present rumor based off of Jesus' words to Peter. The rumor that John would not die before the return of Christ. You've got to know that as John is writing this gospel, he is old. He's, He's probably in his mid to late 80s, which in the ancient world was ancient. He's getting very close to death. And so... People who had bought into this rumor, who believed that Jesus is going to come back before John dies, they they believe John's getting old, he's getting near death, so Jesus' return is imminent. That concerns John. He's concerned because he knows his death is coming soon. And he's concerned that when that happens and Christ has not yet returned, these people, their faith will be shattered. Because they are not beholden to Christ's glory, 
they are living beholden to John's story. And Shades, whenever you live beholden to any one story, the end result is always the same. You will end up disillusioned, dissatisfied, because their story will never deliver to you what you thought it would. So many Christians have their faith shattered because they do not live beholden to the glory of Christ, but beholden to a Christian celebrity who turns out to be human. It shatters their faith. Or people live beholden to their pastor, and when he screws up, which he does a lot, shatters their faith or they live beholden to the faith of their parents and when their parents screw up which they do a lot or they live beholden to their church community and when their church community wounds them disillusioned some people live beholden to false beliefs like what we see right here in john chapter 21 some people live beholden to the idea that jesus will keep them from suffering spoiler alert he's called you to a cross And so when suffering enters their life, their faith is shattered. Some people live beholden to the idea that Jesus is going to give me a spouse or he's going to give me children or whatever it is that I think will satisfy my soul. John looks at those who were beholden to his story and he looks at us and says, live beholden to nothing but Jesus' glory. This is his final instruction. This is his final exhortation. Behold Christ and be beholden for life. You see it in verse 23. Look at it again with me. In verse 23, he points these people who've bought into this rumor back to the very words of Jesus. He says, pay attention to what Jesus says. Pay attention to his words. Look back to Christ. Don't look at me and what you think about my life and what you think the lot is that's for me. Don't put your faith in me or your faith in my story. Look back to Christ. Look at his word. This is what I've written this gospel for, to give you Jesus through his words, to point you not to me, but to him. That's what John says in verse 24, is it not? He says, I've borne witness. I'm not the point. I'm a witness. I'm not the point. I'm a pointer. I'm a witness to the glory of Christ. And what I have written, John says, is just a drop in the bucket of the glory of Christ. That's what he says in the final verse, verse 25. Look at it with me. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. John concludes by saying to you and to me, I have written so that you might behold the glory of Christ. But even my writing is just a drop in the bucket of the glory of Jesus. Like if you could capture everything that Jesus did, the world couldn't contain the books. I don't think John is just speaking hyperbolically. Like this is a little bit of exaggeration to make a point, a little bit of hyperbole, but I think that there's actually some truth rooted in here. But if you actually tried to write down all the works of Jesus, the world itself could not contain the books. I think that's part of John's point. And I think it's part of his, cho- his point because throughout this epilogue, chapter 21 is his epilogue, throughout this epilogue, 
John has been using wording that points back to his prologue, back to chapter 1. The end of his book echoes the beginning of his book in many ways. We don't have time to go through all of them. I'll just show you one. In verse 24, did you notice the seemingly random plural pronoun? Verse 24, John says, this is the disciple who's bearing witness about these things and he who has written these things, about these things and who has written these things and we know, we, we know that his testimony is true. We, who is we? Like John never says we. You can go to verse 25 and he's all of a sudden again saying I. John never says we except for one other place in his gospel, and it's in his prologue in John chapter 1 and verse 14, which is the quintessential verse that states the theme of this entire gospel. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. We, all those who saw Jesus and believed that he was the eternal word made flesh. We saw his glory. And now at the end, John is saying, we who have all read this gospel and beheld the same glory of Christ, we, I think we're included in this we, we all know that this testimony is true, that Jesus is the eternal word of God made flesh. We know this because we've glimpsed his glory here. And it's just a glimpse. The world couldn't contain all the books if we were able to write down everything he's done. What all has he done? Got to go back to the prologue again. John chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Try writing all those works down. You can't, but you can behold the glory of the one who has done them all. And if you have beheld his glory, glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, if you've beheld his glory, then don't live beholden to anyone else's story. Set the glory of Jesus before you day after day, as we've tried to do through this gospel Sunday after Sunday. Set the glory of Jesus before you day after day so that it becomes what your life is beholden to. You become beholden to whatever you behold constantly and consistently, if we set before us the lives of others, if we set before us the world of advertising and ads, if we set before us the world as, as it proclaims itself to us as what we need through TV and through programs, if this is what we constantly bombard ourselves with, all the, it's what we become beholden to. Set before you, behold the glory of Christ so that you become beholden to Him. His glory is what controls your life. 2 Corinthians 3.18, we all behold the glory of Christ and are being transformed into that same image from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Set before you the glory of Jesus, you'll be transformed, you'll become what you behold because you're beholden to it. Shades. We may be finishing the Gospel of John but like verse 25 indicates, we are just getting started beholding the glory of Jesus. May we be a people who continue to set before us the glory of Christ in this word. We're not done next week. We're not in John, but we're not done beholding the glory of Jesus. 
Gospel of John is just a drop in that bucket. May we be a people who continue to set before us the glory of Christ in this word. May we be a people who feed one another, feed his sheep, right? Who feed one another with the glory of Jesus for the satisfaction of our souls. Shades, hear the call of the gospel of John one final time. Behold the glory of Christ and live. Live beholden to his glory for the rest of your